Comments through stars to the whole universe. Vítajte pri vedatorskom podcaste, v ktorom sa rozprávame o vede a prírode okolo nás. Moje meno je Jozef. Ja som Samuel. Tento podcast vychádza v spolupráci so Sme Samko. Dneska je špeci, špeci epizóda. Because we should switch to English. Yes. And this episode will be in English with very, uh, very special guest that he will introduce himself. Thank you very much for listening. Okay, we are sitting here with our new friend, David. Uh, David, can you introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm David Eicher, or Dave Eicher, informally, and I'm the editor-in-chief of Astronomy Magazine. I, I went to the magazine after forming a very small amateur magazine when I was a teenager, and I've been there ever since, straight out of school. So I've been at Astronomy Magazine for 41 years, and I've been the editor of it for uh, more than 20 years now, 20-some years. So it's been a long adventure there, and I've uh, written a lot of books on history, and on science and mostly astronomy um, and gotten to know lots of people. When you hang around on, in a magazine like that, you get to know everyone in the field pretty much. And part of why I'm here is I, uh, about 13, 14 years ago, got to know Garrick Israelian and mm-hmm. Brian May, the co-founders of Starmus. And so we're looking forward to the Starmus Festival right here in Bratislava oh. next spring. We're going to have a fantastic time with it. So for someone who hasn't heard of Starmus, what is it? It's very unusual. There's really nothing like it among a science festival. It it uh, really came from the words stars and music, starmus. And as Brian likes to say, you know, who is a PhD astronomer, he went back mm-hmm. and finished his degree many years after he got little into music. Little side job in music. He's yeah. got this little day job, you know, playing guitar. Um, <laughs> you have to earn a, your living. Yeah, in a yeah. band called Queen. But, but uh, you know, he likes to say who? that... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We will rock you is sometimes just about asteroids but sometimes <laughs> other things you know but but uh it depends on yeah. uh, the audience <laughs> exactly right? Yeah. exactly right yeah yeah but he like you know you, you have to use both halves of your brain you know science and and analytical thinking and kind of pushing forward with understanding why we're here on planet earth what the universe is all about and also the creative the artistic side and so starmus really brings together lots of pure scientists in all the sciences, not just astronomy, uh, astrophysics, cosmology, planetary science, which is the core, but also lots of art and lots of music, and we'll have a lot of rock and roll at Starmus next wow. week. So stars and rock and roll. Yeah. Wow, that sounds a, amazing. Not a bad combination. It will be the first uh, of its kind in the world? Uh, seven in the world and first in... Ah, okay, yes, great. It, it'll be the seventh Starmus. Um, it, it commenced in 2010, and, and we've had six of them already. Last year we had Starmus in Armenia, and we're looking forward to it here in Bratislava uh, this coming year, and, and there are other possibilities in the future, uh, too, so I think we'll soldier on with it. Yeah. Do you think there will ever be Starmus on the orbit or on moon in 20-30 years? <laughs> you know, every time we tease Garrick, you know, who is a, a really accomplished astrophysicist and also the really the co-founder of it and the driving force of Starmus, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, every time it gets to be bigger and more, more crazy <laughs> and more elaborate and more things are planned and, and we've announced a lot already, but we have some secret things that we're kind of working on for May here and uh, so mm-hmm. you think, how can we take it up? And, uh, maybe we do have to take <laughs> at some point, yeah. actually, here. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes there will be nothing else left to do <laughs> right, than go yeah. to the space. Okay. One more step up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can you please name some of the speakers? 
Indeed. Yeah, we've, we've announced some and we'll have many more. And we've got a main stage and sort of primary speakers. Uh, and then we'll also have city events with other mm-hmm. people speaking wow. around the city and so on. So last time uh, we had more than 50 speakers. And it, it again will be, I'm sure, at least that many. And it starts with Garrick and, and Brian and I'll be speaking as well. But we also have some really well-known names in all the sciences. Jane Goodall, the, mm-hmm. the most famous primatologist on Earth is on our board now along wow. with us and, and is very excited. I read her book. Uh, yeah. She's amazing. Yeah. She, she's a wonderful, very yeah. kind woman too. Martin Rees, the astronomer mm-hmm. royal of England, who's a very uh, an expert on cosmology and all sorts of things. Sylvia Earle is a very notable oceanographer um, in that direction. Catherine Hayhoe, of course, uh, as scientists, were concerned about climate change and so yeah. on. And, and Catherine is a Canadian climate scientist who's one of the authorities on global warming and what we're doing with that. Tony Fidel is also on our board, and he's a really entertaining speaker. He's the inventor of the iPod and the co-inventor of the iPhone. He's, he used to be at Apple, of course, and, and he, then he went and he founded this company that's a home security company called Nest that maybe mm-hmm. you've heard of, too. Mm-hmm. He's a really entertaining guy. Kip Thorne will be wow. here speaking. Heard of him before. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's relatively this print. <laughs> yeah. You know, we lost Stephen. Stephen Hawking was on our yeah. board as well, and and you know we lost him a few years ago. Now, but but Kip, you know, so Kip is the world's leading expert on black holes, yeah. among other things. Of course, now there's uh, no greater authority on black holes than him. Yeah, absolutely not. No, he's he's a great guy. Very. Wonderful. I'm reading about five years his book about <laughs> black holes. Yeah, his, maybe maybe I will finish it until he will come here. Black hole. <laughs> Holes and Time Warps. Yes, a very yes. classic, famous book, I and with great the, diagrams in it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But very hard. Version, I think that's the best, basically, gravity book for general audience. Not for students, not for experts, but for general audience. This is the best gravity book, which is. You have to be very devoted. <laughs> to go yeah. the, the book Gravitation. Yeah. yeah no, yeah, no, 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 Gravitation no. or Black Holes and Time Warps. Oh, yes, That's yes. the big, best, tech, not textbook, a book on a gravity. Yes. For me, it's yes. <laughs> but, but if you get the Gravitation book that Kip and Wheeler and, uh, and uh, others worked on, you know, that, that can not only, that's the definitive book on the subject. Oh, okay. And is also physically so large, you know, it can be a booster seat or a doorstop, <laughs> too, you know, as well as or a weapon. And, yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And he also yeah. wrote the like the modern physics, yes. which is thousand and something pages long. And I use the book very often when I try to show the the conservation of momentum when I'm spinning on a chair and I have to yes. hold something very heavy. So it's gravity and modern physics. So no dumbbells, but Kip Thorne's book. Okay. Yeah. So Kip Thorne is coming. I, I don't, well, he, he'll be here, and I don't want to overwhelm, but I'll mention a few more. And this is, frankly, just a the start. There are many well, more beyond. It, this is only starting this is r- the start, uh, roster. And we'll, and we'll have more announcements over the coming weeks as well. But Marsha McNutt will be here, who in the United States is president of the great name. Great National name. Academy McNutt. of Science. That's, <laughs> how can you not? Uh, that's got to be a fun person yeah. you know, with, with that name. Yeah, it can be serious. <laughs> yes, indeed. Brian Green, who's very famous mm. for 
his writings about the hypotheticals of string theory and, mm-hmm. and so on will be here. Another board member with us is, is a very wonderful woman, Emmanuel Charpentier, um, mm-hmm. and she is famous for developing this CRISPR gene splicing technology, wow. which maybe that'll extend all of our lives eventually yeah. here, you know. Um, so we may owe her something. One of the most fun Apollo astronauts, we is a dear friend of all of ours, is Charlie Duke, and, and he'll mm-hmm. be there speaking again. A great guy. Is the g- guy with the guitar? No, no, no. Uh, no. No, and Chris Hadfield. Oh, Chris sorry, sorry. He, he was he there at, le- at least one of the Starmuses. And, and he will be here again, Chris oh, Hadfield. Wow. Okay. But, but he's a little younger than the Apollo guys. <laughs> yes, yes, oh, yes, sorry, yes. I, yeah, that, I didn't hear that you fine. said uh, Apollo Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's uh, famous on the International Space yeah, Station. Yeah, he's great. And I'm sure he will do it again. He's done this for several Starmuses already, you know, yeah. but he does a wonderful rendition of Space Oddity, yeah, the yes. David Bowie yeah. song, you yeah. know, and uh, we love to have him do that. You know, the audience is mesmerized memorized at that. So I'm sure that'll happen again. Uh, another board member of ours um, is Jill Tarter, the pioneering uh, astronomer who is the director of the SETI Institute and in the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. You know, if anyone has read the book Contact or seen the movie, That's Contact her. with Jodie Foster <laughs> is modeled after Jill, the character there, yeah. more or less, you know. Um, he's been hanging around with us a lot this week. Michelle Mayor, another one of our Nobel Prize winners who discovered the first extrasolar planet orbiting a sun-like star, 51 Pegasi B in 1995, and then won the Nobel Prize and kind of opened this whole era yeah. of uh, exploration of extra, exoplanets. Exactly, yeah. that, are, that are mostly near us in the, in the galaxy. Um, and he won the Nobel in, in 2019 for that. Uh, Richard Marco, a computer scientist, is, is here and will speak, is, who is one of the executives of ESET uh, that is uh, sponsoring the the uh, get-together here this time. Garrett Reisman, another astronaut, he's another shuttle and, and mm-hmm. space station astronaut, he's a nice guy, wonderful guy. Another climate scientist friend of ours is Chris Rapley, and he has, among other things, been the director of the Science Museum in London. Mm-hmm. Very wise guy and Everyone a Everyone is coming to Brazil. <laughs> yeah, I uh, wanted to say that... The rest that, of the world will be very empty. <laughs> and, and I'll mention just one more. Lisa Kaltenegger is, is really good, and she does all sorts of things, you know, life in the universe, exoplanets. So for how many days IQ in Bratislava will rise? <laughs> <laughs> well, it reminds me of there's, you know, in the in the old days in the United States, John Kennedy, who was president, Jack mm. Kennedy, they, they asked him about, you know, he had a dinner for Nobel Prize laureates where many of them were together at the White House. And he said that, you know, he was a pretty clever guy talking to the press, Kennedy. And he said, you know, I'm proud to announce all these names. This is more... Uh, heavy intelligence that we've had in the White House since Thomas Jefferson dined here alone. <laughs> said, yeah, that was a good punchline. <laughs> Jefferson okay. was a pretty clever guy, too. Yeah, yeah so, so it's a huge, you know, and this is really just a start. There will be many, many more wow. speakers than that. Uh, do you have some kind of website where you update this information or something like that? We do indeed, and people can go to Starmus, that's S-T-A-R-M-U-S dot com and the whole program is as it's announced now is there um, and of course with our uh, rock and roll we will have Brian May um, entertaining us and uh, usually uh, often Rick Wakeman is there um, I don't know about his plans yet but Peter Gabriel is on our board as well okay. you know from uh, famous as a solo artist in Genesis. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and Jean-Michel Jarre, the, who's maybe the most famous uh, electronic mm-hmm. uh, musician, is with us here this week as well. He'll be here, and he's done these huge outdoor concerts, you know, in, some, in several places, Moscow and Paris and other places, with laser shows. And so I think the Guinness Book of World Records <laughs> for a concert is the outdoor Moscow in the late 1990s. Three and a half million people were there in person for that. It's all Bratislava. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to have to have a lot of space yeah, here somewhere to, to beat them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so a lot of entertainment as well as the pure oh. science from the Nobel guys and the astronauts and all that good stuff. And can people look up uh, tickets and uh, other things uh, related to this event? They can, and, okay, and because of the you know some corporate and and some governmental help and sponsorship and and their you know their places that are enlightened like here and and people who are interested in you know spreading the real knowledge of what we know about the world there's sponsorship there so the actual cost for people to go to Starmus for this kind of a thing and get you know maybe you know ask questions of these people or possibly you know even you know have a glass of wine near them and talk to them you know is much more reasonable than you would expect wow. and and you can find out the information on that mm-hmm. Starmus website Perfect. we will put that. the link down yeah. Below, yeah, so yeah, you can yeah. click it. Uh, thank you for the sermons. I think I'm excited right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you want to buy the tickets already? <laughs> yeah, I'm on my phone right now buying tickets. So uh, this will be amazing. Uh, thank you for uh, organizing it and helping with it and so on. I think for Bratislava, it's pretty prestigious uh, thing to host such a heavy names and uh, out of. Uh, so many fields of uh, science uh can and i ask- music and music yeah. <laughs> sorry sorry i, I just uh, focus on the star <laughs> most <laughs> part uh i just want to ask you you have a great podcast i listen to few uh, to few episodes and uh you strike me as a guy that i want to uh, say comparison to me that you are something um bit by a science but you never became scientist uh was there any reason for this well i had an unusual upbringing and background my father was an organic chemist a professor of of chemistry in ohio at miami university a little mm-hmm. very old but but not the miami the the cold one this was before the cold one this was before <laughs> miami florida got going yeah. you know? this is the not very famous miami in ohio yeah but old George Washington, at the start of our government in America, um, uh, got this you know place for okay. a university going. So it goes way back. So anyway, I was hanging around, you know, my dad's chem lab and all this stuff as a little tyke kid, you know, and very interested in science. Um, and I thought maybe I would want to be, you know, a medical doctor, you know, something like that, you know, a surgeon or something. And and I made the mistake then when I was a young teenager of going to a star party and saw Saturn in a small reflector. And just the revelation, you know, being able to walk out and see the, you know, orangey-yellow rings and globe of Saturn in your back, yeah, that was, I was thunderstruck. And I I have to get into this. So I started a little publication of my own. It was called Deep Sky uh, Magazine that had observing galaxies. And yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very inventive. <huh? laughs> and, uh, and that kind of caught on as larger telescopes were easier to get mm-hmm. um, than to 
make large mirror telescopes, the so-called Dobsonian revolution and so on, mm. people grinding their own mirrors and so on easily. So that kind of caught on, and I had a physics uh, education background, um, but bailed on that. I, I, you know, doing all this writing about science, I was having more fun, I thought, than I would be taking data. So I had mm -hmm. a physics background um, for astronomy uh, education, but then bailed and immediately took my little magazine and, and went to Astronomy Magazine, which is the largest publication uh, on the subject in the mm -hmm. world. Wow. Still so today, instead yeah. of picking a subject, you just basically chose all of them. And just you can switch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and it has been a great, great fun. And I'm getting a little bit, you know, long in the tooth and toward the end of my career there, you know, <laughs> at some point here. Um, and uh, you know, it's it's great fun because being able to talk to all of these people in all of the associated fields, get to know them all, work with their material, publish their stuff in astronomy magazine. It really has been a wonderful you know, sort of way to get engaged with everyone here. You know, it's been great, great fun. And the readers love it, you know. Do you still have a telescope at home? Yeah, I have about 15 telescopes <laughs> all together. Okay. And, yeah. But, <laughs> but, flex, but okay. <laughs> but I don't, yeah, I actually observe more, I think. You know, I live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, mm -hmm. which is in the middle of America. If you kind of head back, that way from here and turn, you know, right at Chicago. You know, it's a little north of Chicago in the middle of things there, and it's not a great place for observational. Because of the light pollution? Yeah, there's light, a lot of light pollution. It's near the Great Lakes. There are a lot of particulates okay, in the so atmosphere oh, from okay. there. And, and, but the light pollution is the key thing, yeah. you know, and so it's much, much better. We struggle with that in Europe, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and, and in the States, it's, it's best, you know, in the desert southwest. And mm -hmm. so I'm thinking at some point here I'll, you know, head toward the, the desert and have a dark sky again, which will be nice, but yeah. But it's very interesting because this is one of the subjects when amateurs can actually make a new discovery. Like some exoplanets, I believe, have been discovered by, us, by amateur astronomers just noticing little dips in the luminosity of stars, which is... That, that's it's right. ridiculous. If you, if you say like this, it's ridiculous because the first exoplanet, as you <laughs> mentioned, was in 1995. Yes. And now you can... <laughs> buy something from Amazon and you can try to find exoplanets that's amazing for me that's absolutely right and and it, it was the first the first really uh, you know um, sort of earth-shattering discovery was Michelle's in 1995 a sun-like star uh, uh, three years earlier there was an exoplanetary system discovered around a pulsar um, in 1992. But, you know, now we know of more than 5,500 exoplanets, you know, mostly relatively near us in the Milky Way, around about 4,000 planetary systems. So, you know, what you would expect, understanding how solar systems form, mm -hmm. we believe, you know, it's it's not surprising that, you know, Nearly all stars have planets around. That's what you would expect. But, but you know, for many, many years, professional astronomers said, you know, we would love to have amateurs cooperate with us, professional amateur cooperation, and we love this data and so on, you know, and a kind of a wink, you know, but mm -hmm. it, it was kind of unreliable, really, what mm -hmm. amateurs were doing. Now, the instrumentation, the, the CCD cameras, the other uh, photometers and other things that some amateurs who want to do science, so to speak, have, it's really good enough that mm -hmm. amateurs are contributing to papers wow. now, which for a long time they weren't, you know. So that game has really changed. You're right. Mm -hmm. They can really make discoveries and really take data that will be used. And this is something that I really like about astronomy, that there are so many open questions, like 
in theoretical physics, like there are a lot of, but they are super difficult to attack in any mm. way. There is nobody like with a little yes. notepad and uh, <laughs> a I calculator. Will, yeah, and I, I will do this <laughs> quantum physics problem for. <laughs> now I think we should be fair. I've seen the letters they've come into us and now emails from amateur theoretical physicists who have their own hypotheses about the. <laughs> They're really interesting. Okay. I'm getting those twice. They're not, you know, in competition with Albert Einstein. However, okay, they are more studies about the psychology of the author there than the reality. The, you know, I don't want to sound nasty here, but you know, wow, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it difficult. depends about if the wheat is there uh, legal or not, right? right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah the more papers come from California, Colorado. People with too much time on their hands, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and do you think that you mentioned the distinction, like we have two parts of brain, so... Yes. Science, and I'm making <laughs> quotation marks right now, like science and, and arts and being creative, but isn't science a lot about being creative and on the other hand being a musician being a lot of like very systematic hardworking training how to play violin correctly and things like that isn't it actually sometimes the other way around as people imagine it well i think it absolutely is and you're precisely right and in the last couple of days here garrick and jean-michel jarre and others have and i have talked about that very thing mm -hmm. you know there is no clean separation yeah. there and there's a desire to rather than saying you know well these guys are just you know rock and roll guitarists and drummers um and these guys are you know theoretical physicists you know it's all one big um process together and and there is a lot of art in attacking scientific questions in the right way um and you know science in in the the right way you know is creative too so there it's not like there are two things that are unrelated and that's kind of what starmus is about is bringing those things mm -hmm. together and uh knowing that that the same people you know this is actually what has driven Brian, you know, to be both a guitarist and a PhD astronomer. His, his dissertation was on the dust and the zodiacal dust in the solar system, um, which fortunately for him, you know, he set this aside for, you know, 30 plus years, you know, and his family. It, one of the and, longer PhDs. One of the longer PhDs. <laughs> in 1970, when he sort of was nearly done with his PhD in the Canary Islands, where Garrick is now at Tenerife, Um, you know, he set that aside. His family was horrified. You know, oh my gosh, you, you know, you're not going to finish this. Well, he wants to. You know, there's this band. You know, Queen. Um, and you know, in about within about five years' time, it all worked out okay. You know, by the time of you know, yeah, yeah. He, day of, he got lucky. You know, night at the opera and and Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. You know, that it was all. You know, all the angst was long forgotten by then. But but he did go back and when and, they saw the checks, they forgot about yeah, the PhD. It, 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 it was <laughs> pretty pretty successful guy in, in many ways here but but he did go back because the English television presenter Patrick Moore a very famous uh, BBC television guy who had a program about astronomy for many years was kind of Brian's hero and and so Patrick sort of uh, suggest really leaned on him to go back and finish his PhD and this somewhat unusual topic of dust in the solar system he was able to go back and kind of pick things up because there weren't many people working on <laughs> Okay. And there's not a lot of super hot research going on with it, and and finished it more than three decades later. Yeah. So yeah, so that so Brian is kind of our our poster guy, if you will, for you know being very active both 
with the science and the art of approaching mm-hmm. life in that way, you know, and, and they're not really separate things exactly as you were saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And uh, so you you spoke about this, like, merger of being creative, scientific, basically different aspects of the same thing. When you are interviewing different scientists, writing about writing about discoveries, to what extent are you interested in the process of the discovery? Because sometimes we just talk about this is the result. Are you Not interested also the in the way in, in the journey? Because Kip Thorne was like the the lone wolf, you know, yeah. went away with his notebooks and just wrote calculations and then returned with the results. Some people, I I haven't. I wanted to ask Michel Meyer, but he. Uh, I believe he's a lot of like a discussion guy, just yes. back and forth. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, uh, collaborative. Yeah, yeah. the yeah. whole process of yeah. everybody is different. Mm-hmm. So the first mm-hmm. question is: To what extent are you interested uh, when you are interviewing someone about the journey of the discovery? Yeah, and then how do you work when you are working on the books? But first, start with this one, and then we'll yeah get to your creative processes. Well, it's a very good question because it is you know we think of it as a some kind of mechanized force of empirical observation and knowledge and experimentation all kind of coming together in a very you know mechanistic way. It is a very human thing, though science mm-hmm. you know and and it's done by humans, and we all have feelings and approaches that are different and <laughs> so that's very often bad feelings yeah. about. <laughs> <laughs> but that that's a critical thing and and so it is kind of foremost in my mind and people do have all sorts of ways that they they work you know some are very you know isolated and others are very collaborative and we're kind of we've gotten out of that historical period of eureka moments where somebody makes a mm-hmm. huge independent discovery now we have papers for the most part in the journals that you know are written by a cast of thousands collaborating together uh, but I think you do you still do need those, you know, sort of leading light minds. Stephen Hawking, Michelle, when it came to exoplanets, uh, and and uh, many, many others in all these fields, you know, who kind of move the dial and think of, well, what should these projects be doing and going after? And the whole thing is evolving, uh, you know, in complex ways as the technology and capabilities evolve. And we have, you know, there are new telescopes that we've launched and missions and so on. So, so unlike something like studying history, which is kind of, you know, a fixed set of facts from the past. That's easy, you know. Now, you know, all of this is very uh, rapidly evolving over time as well, and that, I think, changes the way that people work together on it. Um, so I don't know if that answered the question very yeah, intelligently. Okay. Um, if you but, think so. <laughs> <laughs> as a person that uh, is really in the, in the things and you uh, get uh, very close with those scientists and you see the discoveries uh, during your uh, work, uh, what do you think the research will bring us in the following decades or years? W- what are you most excited about from the scientific and technological point of view Yeah, in the near future or uh, greater period of time? You know, we've just, with Astronomy Magazine, we're just, this year we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of wow. the magazine and we had in our anniversary issue and this is really hard always these things we've done them in the past you know what will the next 50 years of astronomy look like you know yeah. oof, you know if we really knew you know uh, god help us you know it would it's really tough to say but yeah. but i mean it's just as, as you guys know undoubtedly you know this is an amazing astonishing period 
in astronomy and allied sciences, but in all the sciences to some degree. In with astronomy and cosmology and planetary science, we I think we've probably learned more in the last generation in many ways than we knew from the time of mm-hmm. Galileo up to a generation ago. You know, the pace of discovery. Uh, and I don't want to get into a, you know, half an hour thing here and drive you guys crazy. But in, in all these kind of big questions, important areas, you know, the origin of the universe, the how galaxies evolve, the probabilities for the end of the universe, how life will end on Earth eventually, you know, a billion years or less from now uh, because of the sun's increasing uh, bolometric magnitude energy output, Um, you know, the commonality of worlds around us in the Milky Way galaxy, the fact that the Milky Way is a barred spiral and we understand its structure, the numbers of galaxies, 100 billion galaxies at least in the universe, the possibilities of stars that could have living things, either simple or complex around them. You know, in the visible universe would be something like 10,000 billion billion stars. And not to get into too many diversionary eddies here, but, you know, if if inflation theory is correct, which it's a lot, most people are leaning toward, the answer is yes, then the universe could be a lot larger than the visible universe we're counting now. So, so the staggering size of the universe, all these things we really didn't know very well to this degree of, of detail at all 20 or 30 years ago. You know, so this is a head-spinning sort of velocity of discovery that we're on now. And, you know, know, I don't know where we'll be, you know, 10 or 20 or 30 or 50 or 100 or 10,000 years from now. I think we'll have a very much more complete idea of... You know, what happened here, why we're here as, as living things that evolved. And we still don't know. Richard Dawkins is also on our board, um, and he's mm-hmm. one of the experts on thinking about, you know, the origin of life on Earth yes. and evolutionary biology. And it, we still don't exactly know how we got from the simplest self-replicating molecules to complex things like cell Making walls. Post-podcast. And, I'm sorry? <laughs> how we got from simple cells to... Creatures making podcasts and things like that. Creatures making podcasts. (laughs) And you could say, you know, another question is, is there, you know, intelligent life elsewhere in the universe? And that presupposes that the only life we know of here is intelligent, which I think you could debate about, you know. Too, you know, just getting a joke in there, but but uh, not really. But, we are very you know, yeah. we are very hubris in the, the regard. Yeah. But but you know, I I think we know how you know the the atoms in our bodies. You know, we we have something like what is it seven octillion on average atoms in our body. You know, those atoms were created in the early universe, the simplest atoms, or in the deaths of low mass and high mass stars. You know, the same atoms recycled into us. You know, so that we know that we're products of the universe, and it's an almost miraculous thing here that we can be sitting here and talking to each other uh, on this podcast. Given that, but I, you know, I think we're going to know a lot more about the whole story about how we got here, why we got here, and where things are going. But if we knew the details, we'd be geniuses. And I don't. Yeah. <laughs> What's coming. Okay. Yeah. But you, you also have asked the question in a scientific way, so yeah. I'll ask it in a personal way to make you pick one. So imagine there is a time travel from the future. Yeah. Next 
100 year ahead. Yeah. And he will give you the chance to ask one question about the universe. What are you most interested in? Boy, that's a good, good, good question. I, I think it would be how common is complex life, you know, mm-hmm. in, that's in, a good one. in the Milky Way and in all these other galaxies. I'd really love to know that. And I think it's, you know, my an old hero who I knew as a teenager and he's been long departed, Carl Sagan, you know, used to say that, you know, another thing we don't think about much is the immensity, the unbelievable huge immensity of the cosmic distant scale mm-hmm. you know so even if life is abundant complex life is, is civilizations you know uh, that are at least as smart as we are I hope you know are out there um, abundantly throughout our galaxy and others the distant scale is so huge that we're probably not going to have them physically traveling around star system to star system I don't want to beat up on sci-fi love sci-fi But science fiction ain't science if you talk yeah. to astrophysicists, you know. So um, it's like history and fantasy, right? right, right. <laughs> and, and we love it, and it's yeah, they use swords, but they didn't have dragons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And and it, you know, I'm not trying to beat up on entertainment. Yeah, yeah. We need entertainment in our lives, you know, with all the trouble we have on this planet here. But but you know, it's probably you know common life and sophisticated life, even given the numbers game, of course, but so distant mm-hmm. that we'll never really know it. For me, there are two factors about what you said, the distance, but the second is time for me. Yeah. yeah so yeah. if we just uh, think about how long we study the universe, like scientifically, it's like 100 years, 200, maybe yeah, yeah, f- yeah. from Galileo. Okay, let's be... A few hundred years few at hundred, most. At mo- yeah, at we'll most. Yeah, yeah. getting emails about this estimate, but continue. <laughs> But people have strong feelings. <laughs> okay. <laughs> They have strong feelings about anything. I don't care. After 200 episodes, I don't care anymore. But uh, what I wanted to say that uh, we may, uh, as you said, there may be abundance of life and complex life, but different periods of time uh, it can happen. And so we may just miss somebody. But like if there was a perfect civilization like 20 uh, um, light years away, uh, 5,000 uh, years ago, and they destroyed themselves uh, or mm. they have some kind of uh, apocalyptic uh, happening to them. Mm-hmm. So we are always uh, have to consider those two factors. Like, uh, like you say, the distance, they are immensely mass di- distances and the time. So for me, it's like not only the distance, but you have to distance in time. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I totally yeah. agree. And 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 I'm not trying to, you know, it's not like we're saying, hey, you know, we know everything. This isn't going to happen. You know, mm. we, we, we have a vast amount that we don't know about the universe. We don't know, you know, what dark energy and dark matter are made of definitively yet. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, you know, more than three quarters of the, you know, mass energy of the universe. But what we believe, so what science is about is that we believe we do know some things. And, and repeatedly, you know, it's, it feels better when I'm here close to the the scene of things here, you know, never bet against Albert Einstein is one, you know, <laughs> yeah. he's, he's all, you know, 
science is about repeated observation, testing, and experimentation and things happening in a consistent way over and over and over. And, you know, if, you know, photons can travel at the speed of light because they're massless, things with mass, you know, we can, you know, have a snack here while we're talking and test this. If, you know, if we eat a muffin and have a drink of coffee, and then try to convert that mass into energy and try to run around the circumference of Earth six or eight times. It takes a lot of energy to move mass over large distances. A lot distances. of muffins. <laughs> yeah, a lot of muffins. And, and so, you know, you know, it's not that we know everything. We by no means do we, but we believe that we know fundamental what we think of as scientific laws, and among those are gravitation and relativity. Mm. And so those at least are heavy bets against being able to travel such unbelievably huge distances as things with mass in a spacecraft, say. Not to be a bummer, a downer on everything. If we really want to depress the audience, we can talk about, you know, the end end of life on Earth. (laughs) There's another one, you know, that's – but we may have a billion, you know, aside from, you know, asteroids and comets and nearby supernovae, you know, irradiating us. We have the eviction notice for one billion years. Well, we – you know, the sun is increasing its uh, energy output. And aside from climate change, you know, if we don't screw things up ourselves, you know, and, you know, which is – not making exactly at at best case scenario is a billion years or less the oceans will boil off of Earth and that's going to kind of ruin our weekend yeah. at that point you know but that's a billion with B not M just that's a billion with a B but and and you know that's a billion years is a long time between friends you know that's nothing to panic about you know but if you if we think of the earliest life on Earth you know at at three point five or maybe three point eight billion years or, you know, there's this is some of the earliest examples of cyanobacteria are not entirely clear. But, you know, it, we're maybe, you know, three quarters or 80 percent through the story of life on Earth, even though the sun is really only about halfway through its normal lifetime before it becomes a planetary nebula and a white dwarf. Mm-hmm. So we kind of, people kind of who are really even astro enthusiasts kind of, well, life on Earth must be about halfway through. To, it's, you know, no, uh, sof, you know, so-called sophisticated things like us, haha, have <laughs> only been around for a much shorter time. But, but the whole story of life on Earth, the majority of that is done already. Which is kind of astonishing, too, you know, yeah, which is another thing that we've only known for, you know, a couple of decades, really. Yeah. Yeah. So, you are observing the the discoveries or the universe from the first draw, and you notice that, like, the pace of change and the pace of getting new discoveries is basically still increasing. Why do you think this is so? Is it because of technologies or the community is more efficient or it's just larger or combination of three you know, of them. It, it's a really nice problem to have, especially trying to cover all this stuff. Yeah. You know, to have magazines. It's a great it. problem to have. Being, being a wall, we can't do a story on this and that. You know, we only have these three super important things. It edit, It's an editor's dream, you know, to, from that point of view. But but I think it is a combination of things. You know, the technology is getting better rapidly. Mm-hmm. The number of big projects, whether they be uh, uh, launched satellites or other more, com- you know, the Webb Telescope and and others and others are about to go, you know, the JUICE mission and so on in the solar system is 
and, and then building larger telescopes. You know, the Atacama Desert in Chile is kind of the, you know, you know poster child for the best place to be with a large telescope on Earth now. Um, high altitude and, and very dry. And, you know, as Bart Bach, a great astronomer, used to say, all the good stuff's in the southern hemisphere, you know, the, and, you know, which was a little exaggeration, but not that much, you know. So, you know, there's an explosion. And, and just more and more astronomers, I think, who are trained, who are working on stuff together now. I think it's a combination of all of those things. Mm-hmm. And, of course, science is a slow self-correcting process. It builds on the knowledge that preceded it. So the wave of knowledge, even though some fundamental things, we mentioned dark energy and dark matter, for one thing, dark matter goes back to Fritz Wicke in the 1930s, you know, but we still don't know what is responsible, really. Um, but but the kind of wave of building of the knowledge has really accelerated in the last, you know, 30 years or so. Um, you know, so, so I think it's a combination of all of those things. Do you think this acceleration will continue or it will halt at some point? I think it, it probably maybe can't continue at this rapid mm-hmm. pace because, you know, <laughs> you know, at some point it's too much. we'd know everything. <laughs> you know, astronomers would all be out of work, and I don't <laughs> think that's going to happen, you know. We still have a lot to learn. There's a, there's a brief sidestep. There's a book that's a generation old or so now called Cosmic Discovery that an astronomer named Bob Jastro wrote, and he sort of— Uh, uh, looked at the phenomena in the universe and what we really know about and, and hypothetically what we don't yet know about. And, you know, this was in 19, in the 1970s, I think. You know, he estimated that we probably know about maybe about 20% of the kinds of phenomena in the universe. I don't think I disagree. You know, we still, there's a lot to learn still, but the knowledge base is building at such a rapid pace compared to, say, the whole time of astrophysics. Astrophysics sort of got going spectroscopy, astronomically, and other physical techniques of analyzing data about the time of the American Civil War in the 1860s. You know, and we probably have learned, you know, a great deal more about many details in the last generation uh, compared to that whole time uh, since the birth of astrophysics, I, w- I would think. So I think at some point it has to kind of slow down because the acceleration has been so rapid. It's it's incredible in the last uh, 20, 30, 40 years. Um, and at some point there aren't going to be as many new astronomers, you know, taking on all this stuff. But it's a very exciting time. And, and what's exciting to me, not to repeat myself, but the fact that we're either answering or getting closer to some of these answers to these big questions. You know, how did the universe begin We know the Big Bang happened now. Um, how will it end? Likely, we don't know absolutely, but it's likely it will be, you know, a sort of a, you know, you know, a, kind of a, you know, weak, uh, undramatic ending of the movie. You know, it'll, it'll, there won't be any, you know, cosmic, uh, you know, it, it'll be an expansion Very in a colder, darker universe <laughs> yeah. in which, you know, red dwarfs. It started with a bang, but it won't. It, end with one. It, it'll end with a whimper. And probably <laughs> we, we, we don't know exactly, but uh, things are leaning very much toward, you know, a colder, dark universe mm. with a few, you know, uh, 
M dwarfs still burning, and that's it. You know, that's kind of a you know mm-hmm. sad and inglorious way to go out. Um, and then we talked about you know we've you know the length of you know habitability of Earth we know about well now, and all those things you know, and how galaxies evolve. We really were talking about and arguing about in the 1950s and 60s till, and and that's pretty well known now. I wrote a book called Galaxies a couple of years ago that kind of summarizes all that stuff. So. When I open your Wikipedia page, there are plenty of books edited, written by yourself, very long list. But we spoke of the change of uh, the changes we see in the astrophysical community. But in general audience, we see the trend of shortened attention span, mm. just living on social media and things like that. So from your point of view, what is the role of books mostly scientific in this era of shortened attention span? That's a really good question. And, you know, as far as producing a lot of books, hey, everyone needs a hobby, right? So, you know, that's kind of, you know, taking up some of my time. But but it's a little worrisome. You know, the death of the book has been forecast because of technology and, you know, Tony inventing iPads and stuff like that, you know, for a generation now, that hasn't really happened. I don't think there are a lot of young people who are reading lots and lots of books now. Everything gets read through here, and because mm-hmm. we're not on camera, I'll say I'm looking at my phone now. Um, so it's a little bit worrisome that we're in a kind of a shorter attention span. Everything that exists that's possibly worth knowing is here on the phone, which is absolutely long long way from reality. Um, if you spend, you know, three or four months wandering through the Library of Congress in Washington, you can see that a lot of important stuff that exists in any field, like astronomy or others, is not online. You know, so if you really want to know what you're doing and as an expert, you have to go to books as well as online resources and so on. So it's a little worrisome and it relates uh, to another thing that is a bit of a concern. You know, how do we know what we believe, you know, to be true? And and this, you know, goes way back to ancient history and it's the backbone of science and it you know, not to introduce controversy into your guys' show here, but, you know, it bleeds into politics and so on as well, which is a mess, you know, in the United States and, and, and some other places. But, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, in the old, there's kind of a spectrum of how we believe things. You know, there's intuition here on one end, you know, and if we went back in time with time traveling a thousand years, a lot of people might say, well, I dreamed this. So I think it's a premonition of what's going to happen, you know, and I have confidence in that, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And then the slightly more reliable than that is authoritarianism. Well, a politician or a doctor or a teacher or my friends or my parents told me something, it must be right, you know. Well, maybe, you know, but not necessarily. Then, you know, their rational methods, stochastic mathematics and so on is more reliable but not can't necessarily answer every question. Empiricism, you know, is is we think as scientists is the most reliable way to determine what is reality. We don't know how we think the universe, you know, began because a giant, you know, dragon ordered it so, you know, who stepped out off of a mountain, you know. Empiricism is, you know, observation and experiments and results in a controlled, repeatable way in a, with the scientific method and approach. That, we think, is the best way to get to the truth for those who really care about the truth. And it worries me as books wane a bit and as, 
you know, uh, I don't want to sound like an old curmudgeon here, you know, mm-hmm. but as a lot of younger people, well, I heard this from, you know, or or I saw it online, you know, and there's I not- saw YouTube, uh, YouTube uh-huh. video or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I did yeah. my research. Yeah, yeah, yeah I did yeah, my yeah. research yeah. one Friday. <laughs> and, and not to sound like a real fundamentalist for science, but research actually means doing work that nobody's done before, you know? Yeah. That's, research isn't just yeah. reading something on a phone, that, you know? That somebody wrote Right. And you just repeat it. That's reading, yeah. not research. You yeah, know? Yeah. So anyway, that's a good point. <laughs> independently, most it's it's hard. It takes effort to independently think through things and check sources and who is more reliable, and why should I believe that pumping more carbon dioxide into the atmosphere is not a good thing for long-term habitability on Earth. You know, see Venus and other things. But, but you know, um, there, there are ways that people can really understand the realities of things. Mm-hmm. But it takes work and thinking and effort. And most people are running around on the 2D surface of Earth about their daily lives, and they don't have that focus and energy, and they don't care whether what, you know, they want to see the world the way they see it or the way that they're group sees it there mm-hmm. and we can go back you know a hundred thousand years and you know at that point long ago what your tribe believed could save your life you know if, if you if you were with them hunting and so on you had to be cooperative and believe exactly what they believed now a lot of people believe well my parents thought that or something and i'm just gonna think it too you know but and so it's it's a little sad the kind of leaning away from definitive books or understanding the best books or sources mm-hmm. to read mm-hmm. and just kind of washing through a lot of stuff a lot of which is junk and propaganda on online and not really going through the independent thinking process of analytically thinking mm-hmm. about things that worries me a lot mm. i think we are the same with someone we mm. But unfortunately, we are running out of time. Ah, yes. But I think we could keep going like this for hours. So maybe <laughs> before Starmus, you should arrive one day early. You will be jet-lagged. We'll order pizza and we'll do an all-nighter <laughs> yeah, of chatting. Yeah, yeah, we can. <laughs> you're on. I will tell Garrick. That sounds like it would yeah, be sure. right. Bring, bring yeah, yeah, everybody. Yeah, bring yeah, yeah, yeah. Keith Thorne. Yes, everybody. We'll bring Brian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll yeah. Use, get use of those all dreadlock scientists. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's the <laughs> best way to be. But yeah, yeah. We, uh, I think we could just keep discussing about basically... We have scratched the surface of many topics. Yeah. And <laughs> Thank you very much for uh, coming here and talking with us. It was amazing for me. I love doing guest shows. Uh, this was our first in English. I hope it was comprehensive for everyone and uh, from our part, not from yours, because we are <laughs> professional in this. And we hope you to see you before the Starmers and during the Starmers. Absolutely. And thank you guys so much for having me here. It's been really fun. And, and you guys are really smart and on top of everything. So it was really enjoyable to talk about stuff with you. You haven't read the comments. <laughs> no, I am joking. So thank you, our audience, for listening to us. Uh, you can find us on all uh, podcast uh, applications and see you later. Bye. Goodbye. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs>